as I constantly say throughout the night, our goal, our purpose, and our source. Do we have the correct source so that we can produce the same goal? I want you to constantly have this image, not necessarily of a monkey lamp specifically, although this is epic, but more just have this image in your mind uh, so that we can continue to see and receive scripture. So this right here is a... Yes? Nice. This is a light bulb. Uh, what is the goal of a light bulb? Light. To light. Yes, to illuminate, right? That is the goal of a light bulb. So the goal of the light bulb is to illuminate. Therefore, I place it carefully, because I don't have an extra bulb, in this lamp, its source. You see what I'm doing here? The goal is to light. I place it in the lamp, which is its source. Right? <laughs> and then look at this. Right? You're with me? And then it's only two. It's only two. There, so, but still, this is it, right? So what's happening here is the light bulb's goal is to illuminate. That's what it is designed to do. It is designed to show light. It cannot do that unless it is plugged into a source that works for that. Does that make sense? Ephesians 5, we're going to put this in Zane's way for the rest of the night right here. Sorry, Zane. Sucks to suck. Uh, oh, and I spilled my water. Um, and it was strawberry-infused water, too, which really sucks because that was good. Okay, so... Um, Ephesians 5.1. Y'all ready? Just one verse. Luckily, the carpet will absorb this water, so we're okay. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 1. The goal, right? Our purpose, the goal, why God has designed us. All of the four, first four chapters, now, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. There it is. There it is, the goal. Be imitators of God is our purpose. Right? The book of Ephesians, Paul is laying out for us, and this doesn't just happen in Ephesians, it happens throughout scripture. He's laying out for us what our purpose, what our design, he's telling his church in Ephesus, this is it, all of this identity. The first four chapters of this book, this is who you are, and God has done this in your life, and he's brought you this far, and he's, and he's, and he's taken you from darkness and death, and he's called you into life, and all these great things. Therefore, in response to that, be imitators of God. That is really hard to do, right? Be imitators of God. It's a really hard challenge and purpose that God puts on our life as believers, yet the whole of Christian life is to imitate, be like our God, all throughout Scripture, right? We see in Matthew 5, 48, uh, the last verse in chapter 5 of Matthew, we see Jesus tell his people, he says, he says go and be perfect as your Father is perfect, Thank you. He says, go and be perfect as your father is perfect. Our call is to be like God, to be holy, to be perfect like he is holy. That is the bar that Christ sets, that the New Testament says, that, that all of scripture says this is what it looks like. So how do we do that? If that's our design, if that's our purpose, if that's the goal, what's the goal being? Be imitators of God. And if that's the goal, how do we do it? What's the source? What is the source of that? And I'm not even going to leave verse 1, so let's look at the source. Because the source is, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Our calling, right, just the first verse tonight, shows the, the calling and the goal of our life and the source of how we accomplish that. We are to look like God, and we are to do that from the source as beloved children. 
Here's why that's so key. Because what we have to understand is that it is our identity that should produce action. So one of the things that we have to understand that we see here and we see throughout the New Testament is that it is our identity, beloved children of God, that's going to produce the action that we desire in our life. That's going to produce the product that you are designed for and called to be. As someone who imitates God, who looks like God, who reflects his holiness in this world. Time and time again, we get that backwards, right? We get that so backwards. We think, we think man, I need to do all of these things. We live this exhausting, rule-filled life to do all of the right things, to go to church and to do this and to do that. And we think that doing those things will then make us that identity. And yet we do it in reverse. The reality is, man, it is when we put our faith in Christ, we become children of him. He adopts us. He brings us to him. And then it is from that identity flows the rest of our action. And if the goal of our life is to live lives that reflect God, if that is the goal in your life, then your identity, my identity, must be in the right spot as a beloved child. You see that? And, and Paul could have used anything there. He could have said, any, he could have said be imitators of God as self-disciplined, mature believers, or be imitators of God as zealous followers of Christ. But he didn't. He said, be imitators of God as beloved children, this humble, almost passive identity that has all these implications, huge implications. So what's it look like, right? A little more, a little more practical than just imitate God. Look at verse two. He starts to flush out, maybe a little, more, a little more practical. Walk in love, it says in verse two, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. God, do you see it there? The goal is walk in love. The source, there it is, that source again, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Scripture is so beautiful. We see this time and time again. What are we called to do? What's our design? Walk in Christ. Live this holy life. Live this life that pleases God. From, from where? From the source of what he's already done in Christ. From the source of how he's already set us free. From the source of how he's already bought that identity for us. And now I get to walk in it. So real question for you. Real question for you then. Um, that's an empty cup. <clears throat> real question. What, what does that look like? What does that look like to live a life that imitates our God in the context of the culture we live in? Like how would that play out in our life? That, okay, I, I hear in Ephesians 5 I'm supposed to imitate God. Realistically, what's that going to look like in the world we live in? Let me tell you, it's going to look like contrast. There's going to be major, there should be, there ought to be major contrast in my life to the world around me because I'm imitating this God. That's what I've been called to do. Uh, if a football player, a professional football player, joined a JV high school team, there would be a major contrast in the way he played. If a professional guitarist joined a middle school band, there would be an amazing contrast in the sound of the guitar and the way he was able to produce music through the speaker system. There should be a contrast because of a gospel-centered life if we're living it with the world around us. <clears throat> and, and our contrast is because the gospel is so countercultural. Right, this idea of God's holiness is very countercultural, and it's all over Scripture. Right, we're called to be light in a dark place. Right, we're called to have contrast in our life. 
We're told by Jesus that if someone hits you on one side of the cheek, then turn the other cheek to them, right? This really countercultural idea is their contrast. To live the way God called us, reflecting and looking like him in this broken world we're functioning in, it's radical. Ephesians 5, just Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and we're going to get through verse 14, but just in the first two verses, man, we, are, we should be overwhelmed with, man, am I living this holy life? I'm, I'm called, it's my design. Anything other than that design, I'm, I'm not going to be fully fulfilled. That's the statement we're making. And if this is what we're called to be, then anything other than being an imitator of God is going to leave me as a light bulb trying to do something other than light. It's going to leave me unfulfilled. And that is a radical, rad, it's, it's radical, it, it should change the way we date, it should change the way we talk, it should change the way we drive and the way we work and the way we serve and the way we vote and the way we eat, the way we live our lives should look different because of this truth and because we take scripture seriously and we read one verse at the beginning of chapter five and say, oh my gosh, Father, would you help me to be this? I wanna be this, I wanna be this more, I wanna imitate, I wanna look like you, God. And I want that to somehow come from this place of me being a beloved child. Show us, show us. So here's the question. Let me ask you this inventory question tonight, and we'll throw it up here on the screen too. Not a complicated question. How is God's holiness creating contrast in your life? How is God's holiness creating any kind of contrast in your life? And even more so, how could it create more contrast? Because I think a lot of us could at least find one thing, surely, right? The fact that we're maybe here on a Wednesday night is kind of unique. But how are the other ways that God's holiness should create? Uh, it should, we should look different. There should be a set-apartness to the way we live our life. Let, let's look further. Let, let's get even more practical because that's what Paul does in the next several verses. Knowing the context of the Ephesians, who he's writing to, which is a, a, a pagan world that is not very distant from the world we live in now, a world that worships its own gods and doesn't really want to have necessarily a whole lot to do with um, Jesus. This is the context he's writing to with the goal of holy lives before them, right? He gets real practical and real specific. Look at verse three. We're going to read three and four. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He gets super practical. He says, man, be imitators of God. And we're like, okay, great. And then he says, let me give you six things. Let me just off the cuff, let me give you six strategic things that I'm gonna unpack for you of ways that you should look different, ways that your life shouldn't look like your old life, your old self, or the rest of the world, let me call out these six things. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, right? He lays these out. Um, these shouldn't be there in my life. Um, so I'm gonna walk through these briefly. Sexual immorality. Right? We as believers, if, we're, if we say, man, God, I want you. I don't, just wanna, I, just don't, I don't want just enough of you to feel good about myself every once in a while and check in a couple times a week. I want you. I want to submit my life to you. He says, be an imitator. And we say, what's that look like? He says, sexual immorality's got to go. Sexual immorality has to go. I mean, we know the range of sexual morality, right? 
We're reminded in, by Jesus in Matthew 5, too, that if anyone looks at a woman with lust in his heart, they have committed adultery. So I, it's not enough for me to just say, well, I'm, I'm married and I'm not cheating on my wife. No, if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, right, the bar that God sets for sexual immorality is high. The standard, because he's looking at a heart level, he says, man, where's your heart? Are you lusting after those things? Impurity. Right? We're to remove ourselves from impurity. Um, maybe, and if I'm, if I'm touching too close to home, then just tune me out. Uh, impurity, right? I, as I, even I was studying this this week, I was like, dang it. I think there are some TV shows that I should probably stop watching because of the conviction of my heart. Because I'm just filling my mind, but I'm like, oh, but it's great character development. But I'm filling my mind with just impurity, and I wrestle with that. And that's a conviction I feel like the Lord's putting on me. And I'm not preaching that to you. I don't know what you're watching. But I wrestle with that. I'm like, oh, man, what's that look like? What does that look like for the music I'm listening to? Right? The music I'm listening to and the things I'm watching on TV and movies. Scripture says, hey, Ben, you should be set apart. Hey, there should be, there should be no impurity. And I think I take impurity and say, well, I'm not going to watch this, but I, this is okay. And I walk this really fine line of that, and I think, well, I want to be culturally relevant. And I think, man, is that a lack of trust that God couldn't use me if I don't know what's going on in whatever trendy show is happening? Covetous, right? This, this idea of me wanting, this idea of I desire, I want it. I, 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 that is something that they have, and I want it. Man, my whole American life has been based on this idea that go and pursue and get what you want. Even my spiritual life, I see it sneak in. And I, and I, treat, almost, I treat Christianity at times as a consumer. Oh, well, I like this guy. I like this guy. Pop. No, I don't like this part of a church. I like this. I don't really like doing the community thing, but I like coming to the music thing. Uh, I mean, it becomes this single-serving, self-serving, I want, give me what I want. And really what it is is it's idolatry because it's I want things or status or people or promotions over God. It becomes this... And Paul even calls it out later in this, this passage. He calls it out as that's idolatry. It's, is God's holiness creating contrast in my life? Is God's holiness creating contrast in your life in any of these categories? And is it creating enough contrast? And are you content with where your holiness is at these things? Okay, filthiness, right? He he's kind of switches gear. And now he's going to give us three that really kind of articulate language which is going to get me in a lot of trouble. And there's conviction because it's filthiness, which the Greek word there really could be translated in most places translated obscenities, right? Do we just sound like the rest of the world? Do we sound like our old self? Did anything change in the way that we talked? Foolish talk, crude joking. <laughs> These are convictions that I think if we're honest with ourselves, we say, yeah, but am I set apart? Do I, do I take God's holiness seriously? Do I really want God's holiness in my life? Do I really want to be an imitator of God? Or do I, do I want to be enough of a Christian? Maybe even look like a varsity Christian. No, we're not called to look like we do the Christian game well. We're called to be imitators of God. So he gets to be our standard. And my pursuit gets to be to that end. How is God's holiness creating con contrast in your life? Okay, look at this. This is good. Look at this. The source, the replacement of all these behaviors in the passage we just read in three and four, sexual immorality, impurity, you know, we've got filthiness, we've got crude joking, all this stuff, right? These six things over here, these sins, look at 
Look at what's the alternative. He says it at the end of verse four. What's the alternative? But instead, let there be thanksgiving. (laughs) I love that. I would have never thought to write that if I were the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God said, no, no, Paul, list off this and this and this and this and this. And, and he could have been anything, right? List off these things, and, and in, but instead of those things, be mature. No, no, that's not what he says. But instead of those things, be, he says, thanksgiving. He says, instead of those, pursue thanksgiving. Not, not purity, although purity is implied from the text, Right? Not even encouraging speak, but instead have encouraging speak. He's not speaking into our action, although those things are very much implied in the text that, yes, there should be purity. There should be encouragement in our, in our speech. We should build each other up. Paul sees the counter attitude to this sin as thanksgiving and gratitude. Why? Where is he getting that? Thanksgiving for what? Thanksgiving for our source. That's what. Thanksgiving for our already obtained identity. Thanksgiving because we are beloved children. That's what. Instead of these things, this impurity and all these things, instead I should have my mind focused on this idea of thanksgiving tied to this entire concept of the first four chapters and first two verses of chapter five. Thanksgiving because I am a beloved child. So I don't pursue those things. Instead, I rest in thanksgiving. The opposite of our junk is not cleanliness. It's our identity as an already beloved child that's already been made new, and now our role is to walk in in constant thankfulness of that identity. That's what I got at the cross. If you are in Christ, that's what you got. You got this new identity, a new creation. And so now your role is to say, okay, I get to live an identity of thankfulness and let that produce the action in your life. Let me try to unpack how thankfulness as an attitude plays out and fights sin, right? This idea that I am his, he has set me free, that gratitude that I feel when I can say confidently, when I can sit before the Lord and worship and say, he is good, he loves me because of what he has done, not because of my earning it this past week. I am his, that gratitude. Let me show you how that fights sin. Um, Something I've... I have struggled a lot with throughout my life and yet also seen incredible freedom from. I feel like, it, I feel like a lot of times we don't talk about the freedom we find from it, um, but it's lust. Right? So as a young man and even into my marriage, really wrestling with, man, what do I do with this lust? Right? Thinking that marriage would solve my lust issues and it didn't. And so really wrestling with what does that look like to surrender that and how do I find freedom from this? And I knew what the right thing to do and I knew what the wrong thing to do was and I knew which path I was supposed to walk down. And so one of the ways that this, this would play out with just the struggle of lust is then as, as I would feel that path, start going down the path or eyes wandering or thoughts wandering, right? Then instead of just saying, Ben, have the willpower to defeat this sin, just have the willpower to stop lusting or stop pursuing this then instead i get to shift my mind to say no the opposite is not just oh think pure think think pure think think pure thoughts instead it becomes man be thankful ben i'm loved by the god of the universe i have been called and set free in fact lust no longer has a hold of me i'm free from it i'm no longer a slave to my sin i'm now set free All I have to do is my faith to walk in the freedom that's already been purchased for me. 
and, and I'm not a fool, and so I also have to have all these accountability things and people in my life also asking me how, how it's going and keeping me accountable to continue to walk in that faith. But, but that's what that looks like. It becomes battling the sin. Whatever that sin, whatever those habitual sins that pull you down, the alternative being, thank God, thank God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And instead, we get to start singing songs of thankfulness or, or in our head, praising God, praising God for what he has already done in my life. Man, it's really hard. It's really hard to look up pornography on your computer when you've got, I'm no longer slave to fear playing, right? It's really hard to, to do that. That was good. Was that good? I was surprised by my own. Thank you. I'm done preaching, man. I'm going to do Casey's job. He gets paid way more than I do. Um, okay. Uh, um, right? Does that make sense? Is that, is that at least an example to unpack how thanks, thankfulness can be, this, can be this counter, this antidote to this stuff in our life? And I love that that's where the Spirit of God takes us. He doesn't say, don't do this and don't do this. Don't, don't be impure. Be pure. Obviously, yes, purity is implied. But he, he says beautifully, which, which are out of place, all this sin, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving for us. Would you guys use that as a tool to fight the enemy, to fight the flesh, thanksgiving? And if you are in Christ in this room, then that's yours, and that's your tool. Instead, when you feel that temptation, you run to thanksgiving. You run to start listing off the good gifts, the good things that God has done in your life, the promises that he's given you. Start making a list, if you've never done this, of what are the promises of God in the Bible? I mean, what are the things that he promises to his believers? Man, I'm a co-inheritor with Christ. There's a lot of awesome stuff that comes along with that. Let that start to shape our mind. Let it start to shape our attitude. Let it start to walk in the freedom that's there. No longer has power over us. That gratitude can drive this contrast, right? That gratitude, that thanksgiving can drive this, this contrast in our life to say, okay, at least our life from the old self to the new self, which I, I talked about last week. If you weren't here, review the end of chapter four, review all of chapter four. We look at this idea of, man, the old self and the new self. And that, that thankfulness starts to create this contrast. Say, wow, look, God is setting me free, man. There's a lot of freedom in my life. And there's still a lot to yet to come, but God has set me free from so much. I'm so thankful and continue to do that. So the question is then, do you, if that's our application here in the middle of this, do you believe you are his beloved child? Do you believe that that source is true in you? Do you believe you are his beloved child? And right now, not a future version of you, but right now, or, or even in the deepest spot of sin you might find yourself, do you still believe my identity isn't been taken away from me? I'm still a beloved child of God. How does that shape how I see sin, how I see temptation? You have not lost your father. If you're in Christ, you have not lost your father. It's not how it works. There's nothing my kids could do that would ever make me stop being their father. There's some areas of discipline, but man, my, if my kids have humble postures, then I will always be a gracious father over them. You have not lost your father. Do you believe you are a beloved child of God? Do you believe that? And if you did or could, how grateful would that make you? I would assume so grateful it would create 
some major differences between the old self and the new self. Paul reminds us where the old self leads. Let me read uh, this next section to you, five through, five through 10. For you may be sure of this, Paul says. He's gonna remind us where this contrast should be coming from. He's gonna remind us this old self. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is, covet- who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's heavy stuff, guys. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you were darkness. This is important. For one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so first thing, verse eight, right? We have no room. Let me just, little rabbit trail here. We have no room as believers to read this and judge the lost world around us, right? Paul's not talking to the lost world around us. And if you are in this room, man, and you're not there yet, and we're talking about for those who are in Christ, and you're like, man, I'm not ready for that. I'm not sure what that looks like. I haven't done that. I'm not sure really. Praise God. This isn't, this isn't fuel for the Christian to go out to the lost world and see, man, you guys. You guys. Because verse 8 For at one time, you were darkness. We all were there. And it's only by God's grace that we saved. So this doesn't get to be a catalyst for us to judge outsiders. It gets to be a model for us to say, oh my gosh, there's so much more life and freedom here in being obedient to Christ. There's so much more life and freedom here in having faith in Christ. It doesn't get to be a stick we beat up people, but it does get to be a reminder of, man, what we came from. What we came from. That's who we were, right? Or that's where we were headed at least or where we are headed if we're not walking in our identity. So we're gonna look at uh, one more little section of specific examples uh, of, a, of a life that is holy and imitates God. Verse 11 through 13, look at this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Okay, here. Here's what's happening, and Paul uses this, uh, he uses this picture a lot, of this idea of exposing things into the light. Uh, and, and when he does this, what he's talking about, what he's talking about here, is, is he, he's alluding to this concept of confession. He's alluding to this concept of, man, bring the stuff that's in the darkness into the life. And I believe he's really talking to the Ephesians here, the church, the believers here, and he's saying, hey, don't keep that stuff in secret. Bring it out into the light. There should be confession. And so again, real quickly, I want to show you, one side we have unfruitful works of darkness, right? We have this call to, what's it look like to imitate, right? We've got these six things, and now in these other two verses, he's like, man, unfruitful works of darkness and all that that means and all the, the secret sin in our life. And the alternative to that is confession. It's confession, which is, which is this vulnerability, right? All of this darkness that we keep, Paul's saying, hey, it's not just get better, it's bring it into the light, so that it might get exposed. Let me show you how confession works uh, and shows how we have a confidence in our identity because really, confession, what it is, is it still just points to the source. Confession is just another tool in my tool belt to fight sin to say, hey, my source is as a beloved child. Confession is a tool to reveal I am a beloved child because here's what happens. When I sin and I hide it, 
When I'm in sin, when I'm doing stuff that I know is disobedient, when I know I'm wandering down those roads and I just hide it, man, and I'm putting up a mask and I'm faking it and I'm, I'm just pretending and putting up walls and I got the right answers to say when somebody asks me how I'm doing or I'm revealing just enough sin to let people know I'm relevant but not really but holding a lot back. When I do that, what am I doing? I'm making my own identity. I'm saying, hey, I am, I am shaping my own identity. I'm gonna hold this in and I'm going to shape what they see about me, what, what I am going to shape that, as if I could hide it from the Lord, no, but I'm gonna shape what the world sees wrong. Although confession does what? Confession is an exercise in me saying, I am going to trust and be confident that I am a beloved child and that can't be taken away from me, so I'm gonna bring this into the light. It shows my confidence that I'm not in charge of making my own identity. It shows my confidence that, that my walls up don't shape my identity. It shows a confidence that I am a beloved child. And my confession gets to be a means to that end, to say, God, I trust you. I want you. I want what you say about me, not what I have shaped for other people to think so that they'll like me, so that they won't think I'm as bad as I really am. He has already shaped it. I just get to respond to it. Confession, bringing things into the light. I'm standing confident that he has already shaped my identity as a beloved child, and I just get to stand and respond and walk in it. Verse 14. For anything that becomes visible in light, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on us. He will shine on you. May we wake up. Make no mistake, right? Your purpose, if you're a Christian in this room, is to live a holy life, right? Is to live a holy life as God is holy, so we are called to be. There should be contrast between followers of Christ and the world. And there isn't far enough contrast. In my own life, I can say that. I honestly, I think too, that's one of the reasons, it's one of the huge stumbling blocks for the world to look at our God and say, what are you talking about? I see that person's life. There's not contrast there. Yeah, they're a little more religious. They have a little better church attendance. Is our identity really creating a contrast? And if you're in this room and you've been turned off by Christianity because of the lack of just, man, Christians just seem like more judgmental people. They just seem like everybody else, but maybe have a little less fun. Maybe they do a little bit more religious things. Man, my hope and prayer is that you would hear that, no, no, it is a God who goes into our brokenness and redeems a bunch of broken people. And now we're trying our best to respond to the grace of God with our obedience, not earn the grace of God, not put on these masks so that we look like his kids, but walk in the identity of being his beloved children already. To my brother and sister in this room, let me close with this. My prayer and my hope is that the change in your life, the change that my hope is you are praying for, my hope is we are always saying, Lord, make me look more like you. And that that change, that contrast towards holiness would come from the really, really sweet place of gratitude and confession. That gratitude and confession would be these really, really sweet tools. You would say, God, use these in my life to make me look more like you. God, I want to be more obedient. I want to live more pure. I, want to, I don't want to sin so much. I, don't want to, I want to walk in more joy and not fear. I want all these things, Father, that we use the tools of thankfulness and gratitude towards what God has already done and use the tools of confession to say, I trust what you have already done so much that here I am, 
expose it into the light. I trust you. I trust that you're not going to take away my identity and instead bring healing, healing, healing. Be thankful for that identity and be confident so that you might be quick and bold to confess to a good and gracious God and to the body of Christ around you, those people who have God's put in your life to show you the grace of God. Be imitators of God as his beloved children. Let me pray over you and then let's respond to this in worship. Father, we love you. Father, thank you for making us uh, your beloved children. Uh, thank you, Father. Thank you for um, calling us and adopting us. And God, we want this. We want to live out this goal, this uh, identity you've called us to. We want to be imitators of you. So Lord, would we not just walk out of here with religion and rules, but instead, Father, would we walk out of here and even sit and process and pray and deal with you in a way that we're saying, God, thank you. Would, would the gratefulness of our heart overwhelm the temptation? Would the gratefulness of what we already have be the fuel to fight the sin that is constantly coming after me and that I'm constantly chasing because I'm a fool. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. You loved us. You loved us enough to send Christ Jesus, your perfect son, to die for us, to, to pay the death that I should have died and raise again and now sit at the right hand of God and be the advocate for me and be the advocate for all those who say, I put my trust in Christ. All those who with their life say, I put my trust in Christ. Thank you, Father. No matter how far we think we've wandered, we've never lost that identity. You call us beloved children. We're grateful. In the name of Jesus, amen.